0: Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant. And I would like to apologize. We had some technical difficulties earlier. That's the reason why we're running a little bit late. But thank God and all praises to the Most High. We were able to come on today. So welcome to the Science of the Covenant. And I'm Boyce Washington. And on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we are the Science of the Covenant. And we want you to know, starting next week, come and celebrate the Spring Feast Days with us. Starting with Passover, join us on April the 16th at 1 p.m. as we celebrate Passover. Then on April the 17th at 7 p.m., join us as we kick off the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And lastly, on April the 23rd at 1 p.m., Join us as we close the celebration of Feast of Unleavened Bread. We look forward to you joining us. If you have any questions or comments while this podcast is going on, or after the podcast, you may have some questions, be sure to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. So, Pastor, what are we going to be dealing with today?
1: Okay, last uh, Shabbat. We deal with the uh, seal of Elohim because what we're trying to do is make a comparison between the seal of Yah with the mark of the beast. And so we want to be able to uh, see how the mark of the beast tries to duplicate the seal of Yah. And now that we have taken an introspective look into Yah's seal, in the forehead, we want to turn again to the mark of the beast in the forehead. Now, Satan follows Yah's design of worship strategically. And if Yah's people would follow his way of worship in truth, as Satan does in error, our worship would be much more pleasing to our Heavenly Father and His Son. Now, just as Satan duplicates Yah's system of worship, which we've already discussed, that Yah has a system, which is the this, this Shabbat and his annual Sabbath, and Satan has his uh, day of worship, which is Sunday, and also his pseudo-holidays. And so we want to see in this uh, how he also duplicates in his mark what Elohim does in his seal. So just as Satan duplicates Yah's system of worship and he also follows his model of doing, or doing the same thing, let us now revisit the mark of the beast in the forehead, and we will refer to this part of our discourse as the mental model of Of the mark the mental model of the mark he's going to model in the mark what he sees that is in the seal of Elohim so before we go any further let us have a word of prayer eternal father we thank you that you've allowed us to be able to come again and to be able to enter into discussion concerning the seal of Elohim and the mark of the beast that we may be familiar with the true as well as the false, to make the distinction. And as Solomon had prayed for wisdom and understanding, that he may be able to go in and out of so great a people and give us understanding that we too may have the discernment between what is right and what is wrong. Now, as we go into your word, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit, who have inspired your prophets to write, may be the same spirit to help us to understand what they have written in Yeshua's name. We do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. amen. And amen. amen. Now, the first text that we want to use is found here in the book of uh, Revelation. And here in Revelation, we want to look at uh, Revelation 13 and verse 16. Revelation 13, 16. Uh, uh-huh. Let me see. Revelation chapter 13, and we want to look at verse 16. Now, here's what John said when he was on an aisle called Patmos. He says, and he calls it all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. So uh, when we deal with the mental mark, the mental model model of the mark, here it is saying that they was to receive it in the mark, in their foreheads or in their hands. And we haven't got to the hands yet. We are still on the forehead. So when we consider the man, it is what the Bible calls the forehead. Okay. And another text that we read, you know, to deal with the forehead is also Revelation fourteen one, where it speaks about uh, John said, And I looked, and Lord Lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. So we you know the forehead is the seat of reasoning, uh, where we think that we reason. So when we talk about the forehead, we are talking about that part of the brain that we consider our minds and we can reason and understand our minds model after that which we put into them. So let us consider the mental mark that the beast puts in our mind. If the Shabbat has the word Ab or Abba, which is father in the word Shabbat, which points out our relationship to him. Consequently, if the relationship that Yah has with his people by putting father in the Shabbat, does the mark of the beast also contain a similar type such as this to show his relationship to those who follow him? So Yah is saying, in my Sabbath, I have my relationship to you, which is father. So we want to see if Satan also when we look at the mark of the beast, has his relationship to his people. So let us explore this concept and see what it is that identifies the relationship of the beast with his followers. So if Yah's seal points out his relationship to his people, does the beast's mark point out his relationship to his people? So what we also notice about Yah's relationship in his seal appear to embrace both his name and his title. However, what we notice about the beast's mark for the spurious Sabbath is that the sun is being used as the mark. When the Shabbat commandment of the beast is read, it says only, remember the Shabbat to keep it holy. That's all it says. If you read it in the Catholic Bible or, or the way that they have changed it, they just said remember the Shabbat to keep it holy. That's all it says. And they made this the third commandment instead of the fourth, and they divided the 10th commandment into two parts to make up for the fourth commandment, which they have taken out of the ten. They've taken that out altogether. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days shall labor. They've taken that all out. And the only thing they reserved from the fourth commandment was remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So, in actuality, when they say remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, aren't they actually saying remember the sun to keep it holy, seeing that the day they have chosen is the first day of the week called. Sunday, isn't it the focus? Uh, isn't the focus of Sunday the sun just as the focus of Monday is the moon? See, Sunday was named after the sun and Monday was named after the moons because they called them respectively Sunday and Moon's Day. Consequently, when the beast says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What is it that they want us to remember? Just as as we did with the seal in pointing out what it was that Yah wanted us to remember, let us also see what it is that the beast wants us to remember. And we refer to this remembrance as the animesis. And you remember when we talked about the animesis, it means... Is some things that you remember from the past. That's what animesis means. So at this juxtaposition, we look at what we refer to as the Sunday animesis. We had the Shabbat animesis. Now we want to look at the Sunday animesis. What is it about Sunday that the beast wants us to remember? In Sunday animesis, we want to observe the four factors of his mark and to see what it is that he wants us to recall at the start of every week when Sunday comes around on the first day. We will relate each of these four factors to our term animesis. The first one we'll concern ourselves is what we call the animesis name. Okay. And We refer to the Animesis uh, name as the Animesis appellation. Now, appellation means a name, but as we have discovered in the seal, that the name can also uh, have a reference to uh, the title as well as the relationship. So when we deal with the name, we'll be dealing with a number of things. We'll be dealing with uh, uh, the name, the title, and the relationship. So in Animesis Appellation, we notice that both the mark of the beast and his name were in the forehead of those who worship the image of the beast. So when Elohim puts his forehead, I mean, when he puts his seal in the forehead, the Animesis of those who follow Sunday, he wants to put that in their foreheads as well. Okay, so he want to claim the same territory of which Elohim uh, has for the seal. So, and of appellation is a phrase of which we notice that both the mark of the beast and his name were in the forehead of those who worship the image of the beast. Now, we'll find that there is a connection between the mark and the name as we explore this connection let us start with the name okay let us start with the name now let us turn to revelation chapter 13 and we want to consider uh revelation 13 and we want to read verses 17 down through 18 okay now 17 says of the 13th chapter of revelation and that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, okay? And then in verse 18, it says, here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. So according to Revelation 13, 17 through 18, dealing with Sunday commandment, the name of the beast is spoken of. So what we see is that the beast has a name. He has a name. In verses 17 of Revelation 13, it speaks about the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Moreover, we have three factors of which the beast wants to put in one's forehead, which are his mark or his name or his number. All three appear to have some relevance to one another. Let us see if we can discover some of the correlations which he has between his mark, his name, and his number. So let it, let us now explore these three factors to see if there is some credence in their association to one another. We'll observe these three factors from the standpoint of the beast. We'll start with his mark. Okay, we want to start with the mark of the beast. Okay. And we've already said that his mark was Sunday keeping, okay? But we wanna we wanna go into the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, and in the book of Ezekiel, we wanna look at the eighth chapter, Ezekiel chapter eight. Okay. So here in Ezekiel chapter eight, we wanna look at verses fifteen and sixteen. Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. Okay, now here Ezekiel says in the 15th verse of the 8th chapter of Ezekiel, he said, Then said he unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. So Elohim is showing uh, Ezekiel a number of things that was going on not with the heathens, but with his own people, his own people, and he said, "If here, he said, and thou shalt see greater abomination that they do." Okay, now what was one of the greatest, greater abominations that he saw? Verse, verse, uh, uh, uh verse sixteen it goes on to say, and and he brought me unto the inner court of. of Yah's house now we know that the house is a sanctuary that's what his house is and behold at the door of the temple of Yah between the porch and the altar were about five and twenty men about twenty-five men with their backs toward the temple of Yah and their faces toward the east and they worship the sun towards the east. Okay. So what we're we looking at? We're looking at the beast mark. Here we see in this text a reference to sun worship. If they had their backs toward the temple and their faces toward the east, this certainly was an indication they were worshiping the sun. Because when Elohim had Solomon, respectively, and he also had Moses to construct a tabernacle, he made it so that when you went into the temple of the tabernacle, you had to come in from the east, which meant you turned your back on the east. Now, why did you turn your back on the east? Well, you turned your back on the east because the sun rises in the east. That's where the sun. And so when you got your face towards the east, you're looking at the sun. But Elohim designed the sanctuary that when you go into it, it would be only one light in the sanctuary. And he wanted that light to be the lampstands. And he didn't want any worldly light in the sanctuary. So that meant that the sun, which was the worldly light, when they went into sanctuary, they would not behold that. They would only behold the light in of the of the lampstands inside that. And that was the light of the Holy Spirit that the lamps represented with the fire. So Satan, like Yah, has chosen a day of worship, which we see they call Sunday. So here we see in this text a reference to sun worship. And if they had their backs toward the temple and their faces toward the east, this is certainly an indication of pagan worship. Satan, like Yah, has chosen his day, which is Sunday, which is the mark of the beast. And when he deals with the mark of the beast being Sunday, it violates the sacredness of a true holy day. So what we see here way back in Ezekiel, they were... His people were having son worship as we read in Ezekiel 8:16. So when the pseudo sabbath is put in place of the true Shabbat, it is equivalent to putting Satan in Yahs place. Whenever we put the false in place of the true, it is one of the highest forms of idolatry one can engage into. While Satan doesn't have his name and title in his mark, as Yah's name and title are found in his seal, yet he does something much more craftier. He uses the sun to represent him. He uses that sun to represent him. In such an act as using the sun to represent himself Do we see in it the first deception which caused this world to fall into falsehood and plunge into perdition? All right, let us turn to uh, Genesis to see the deception that Satan is doing. We turn to Genesis chapter three. So here in Genesis chapter three, and we read in verse one, notice what it says in Genesis verse one. It said, now the serpent, was more subtle than any beast of the field, which Yah, Elohim, had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath Elohim said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Okay, so what do we see here? First of all, we see a serpent speaking. And what we notice in Genesis' account of Eve rationale of eating that which was forbidden was that the serpent in whom she was dealing with was being used by satan she was talking to a serpent but behind the serpent was satan and as she talked with the serpent she wasn't aware of the fact that it was someone behind her speaking through the serpent. And so when we lead Genesis 3, chapter, uh, ch- chapter 3, and we look at verse number 13, notice what it says, uh, 313. After she had eaten, and Yah Elohim questioned her, and the Bible says, Yah Elohim said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now notice, she never she never mentioned Satan. Never. She said, The serpent beguiled me. In other words, she was stuck on a serpent. So cunning was Satan in hiding behind the serpent that even Eve could not discern who it actually was speaking to her, even as he hid behind the guise of the serpent, he is now in these last days acting under the guise of the sun as he did in antiquity. in, In past ages, sun worship was prevalent among even the true people of Elohim as we have seen In Ezekiel 8, 16, sun worship didn't disappear with the passing of time, nor did Satan abandon it for something new. Satan does what he always do best, and that is deception. Just as he hid behind the serpent, he is also hiding behind the sun in Sunday worship. Make no mistake about it. Satan sophisticatedly disguises all forms of ancient idolatrous worship under the guise of modern technological idolatry. He doesn't get rid of any of his idolatrous forms and practices. He merely implements them in different forms and styles unique to the civilization he is seeking to seduce. To the casual observer, the worship of idols may not easily be discerned. A person can be an idol worshiper without having a conscious knowledge of doing so. And this kind of borders line on when he puts the mark in the hand, there are a lot of people following him, but they really have no knowledge of why they are following him. But we haven't gotten to that. But much of the idol worship many engage in today has no bearing upon the physical objects alone, but upon spiritual objects of worship, which are far more idolatrous than merely worshiping saintly statues of dead saints of a shrine. As the sun orbits the earth in providing its light, even so Satan worships, revolves around, even though sun worship or Sunday worship revolves around Satan who uses as his object the sun. So deceptive is he that he has correlated the first day of the week with the sun. How is it that he is able to get away with such a blatant deception whereby nearly all the world holds on to and Reverend Sunday as a sacred day of worship. When Satan falsely adjoined the first day of the week with the sun, that was a distortion of the highest order. And this distortion was given to us by the father of liars. Okay, let us turn to John. Let us turn to John, the Gospel of John. And here, the Gospel of John. We want to look at the 8th chapter, and I want to point out something, John, the 8th chapter. And we want to look at uh, verse 44, John eight forty-four. Here's what it says. John eight forty-four says, he said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Okay. So the Bible is saying he a liar and the father of it. And so those who keep Sunday, the first day of the week as a sacred day of worship, aren't able to penetrate the hellish cloud of deception to detect the hand of the arch deceiver at work. He has been engaged in the science of sophistry for nearly 6,000 years. In such time, he has well nigh perfected the art of idolatry and mastered the science of sin. Those who keep, the, keep Sunday, the first day of the week, as a sacred day of worship, are taken into the entrapment of one of Satan's skillful schemes, so skillful that many fail to see that when that many fail to see that when Yah on the first day brought forth light, the sun, the moon, and the stars didn't come forth until the fourth day of creation. So how can one use something to represent the first day of creation when it itself wasn't yet in existence. Now, when we turn back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, and here in Genesis chapter 1, and we look at verse number number 3, notice what it says, Genesis 1, 3. The Bible says, and Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. And then when we look at verse 16 of the first chapter of Genesis, it says, and Elohim made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. Now, Satan, to associate the sun to a day Yah hadn't created it yet, was falsif- was was a falsification of both the creation and salvation to worship the sun on the first day it was not created is a travesty wouldn't it be far more reasonable to worship the sun on a day in which it was created than when it wasn't in existence and even that would be a misnomer. You see, he created light on the first day, but he didn't create the sun and the moon and the stars until the fourth day. So at least if he had put the sun with the fourth day to worship, that would be reasonable, but it would still be wrong because that still was not a sabbat. But he made the containers of light second, but he made light first. Moreover, even if he could have aligned the sun with the fourth day of creation, it still would have seemed nil and void of reason for doing so, because Yah specifically stated to his people why he gave them a Shabbat. It was for the express purpose of memorizing uh, memorializing that is the creation of the heavens and the earth, and it could not be a remembrance of what he created until he finished creating, since neither the first or the fourth day was the creation finished. Neither day could serve as the Shabbat. Outside of creation, the Shabbat also served as a reminder of Israel's redemption from Egypt. Satan's spurious Shabbat serves neither the purpose of creation nor redemption. His Shabbat serves purely the purpose of exalting and extolling himself. If Elohim designed that his Shabbat would be a memorial of his creation, then what was Satan's Shabbat a memorial of? Well, if he is in any wise imitating Yah as far as creating something, what is it that he could create that Elohim did not create? Let us consider the creation of sh- Shaitan. When we read in and in, in 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 when we read in John 844, we are told that the devil was a father. And what was he the father of? The Bible say he was the father of lust. He was the father of murder. And he was the father of falsehood or lies. That's what he was the father of. In order to be a father, one must be the head of a family. Elohim and his son are qualified to be fathers because they both created the human family, and established it however when it comes to yah and yeshua that is a father and son's relationship now when we turn into the book of uh, john again when we turn to the book of john and we notice in the book of john and we look at the third chapter in a familiar verse that most of us can quote, quote by heart, which is John 3.16. Notice what it says. John 3.16 says, For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what we're looking at here, in this world, Yeshua is referred to as uh, the Son Elohim, He was his son. He said, for Elohim so loved the world, he gave his son. And if we follow his son, you know, we become his children. So that means that the father and his son are our fathers of the human race. Okay. Okay. Now, let's look at uh, Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, we want to look at um, verse Number five, Revelation 1-5. Okay. So here we read in Revelation 1-5, it says, it says, and from Yeshua, the Messiah, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now, what I want you to notice in Revelation 1-5, it says that Yeshua, he was the prince of kings. Okay, he was a prince. Now, you know, a, a prince is a step down from the father. A prince is the son of the father. A prince is the one that is below the king. So in this world, Yeshua is referred to as the prince of the kings of the earth. Why would he be called the prince of the kings of the earth Isn't it because in relationship to his father, who is the king, this makes him the prince? So the father is the king of kings over all of the kings of the world, but his son is the prince of the kings of this world. However, when it comes to his human association with mankind, he is the king of kings. Now, when we relate it to his father, he's a prince. But when we relate it to him as being a king, then he is king of kings. Now let us read in uh, Revelation 19, 16. Revelation 19, 16. Now notice what it says in the 16th verse of the 19th chapter. Here it says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings. And Yahweh of Lords. In other words, he over all of the kings and of the lords. That's when he came as a king. So we see two things. When he's related to divinity, his father, he's a prince, but is related to us in the anthropological sense of man, he becomes the king. So how is it that on one level Yeshua is a prince, and on another, he is a king. So when we, when we examine the record of the scrolls, we find that they speak to us concerning two kinds of fathers. We have the heavenly father of whom would be divine, and we have the earthly father of whom would be human. Okay, so when we see John, when we look at John, we look at the gospel of John in 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 John's gospel, we have in the first chapter, I believe, John. uh, Let's just turn to the gospel of John and we want to use chapter one and we want to refer to uh, verse 14. John 114 says this. It says, and the word was made flesh and dwell among us that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So here we see in this particular aspect that when he came, he came in the flesh. Okay. Now let us turn to Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. And we want to look at verse Number forty-eight, Matthew's five forty-eight. Okay, in Matthew's five forty-eight, we are told this. It says, "Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect." Okay. So in one text he's saying he was of flesh, in this text he said, "Be ye perfect as your Father, which is in in heaven, is perfect." Okay. Now notice all these these texts are talking about the Father. In one text, he is saying that Son was made flesh, and he's Father, he's a Son of the Father. Five forty-eight says, "Be you therefore perfect, even as the Father in heaven is perfect." Now let us turn to Luke eleven two, Luke chapter eleven, and we want to look at verse number two. So these texts are emphasizing primarily uh, the Father. Okay, now here in the Luke eleven two it says, and he said, talking about Yeshua, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, so in uh, that will be done as in heaven, so in earth. In other words, what he's saying, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And one of the things that he says is to address, address him as father. Now, Yeshua, uh, what he referred to his father, he called him father. And of the text that we read, it enumerates father. So father is a name and it's a title, but most of all, it's a relationship. So when we view our heavenly father's relationship to his son, he is king, and his son is prince. However, when we view our earthly family relationship to his son, he is king over his people by both creation and redemption. Now, let us turn to Colossians. In in, in the book of Colossians, we want to look at Colossians chapter 1 in verse 16, and then we're going to go back to 14. Okay, 16 in Colossians chapter 1 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So you see, uh, Yeshua was a part of the creation. And then verse 14 says in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So we see it both in creation and redemption. The son was a part of that. So when we worship the son, he is also our creator. He's our king. So we have a right to worship him. And when he died and gave his blood, we have a right to worship him because he redeemed us. Both salvation and redemption is with Yeshua and the father. When Yeshua created Adam, he became his father. By being Adam's father, he is also his king. The only way one can initially become a king is by being the head over a people, by being over them. One can become a king by succession, by overthrowing a king, or by the death of the father and his son a prince can come into kingship. However, in our case, with Yah's son, he became king by the mere fact that he and his father created all mankind. Moreover, when Adam was created by the hands of Elohim, he was a king over the human family. However, when Adam transgressed, He forfeited his kingship, and Satan took over. Even though he took over, still Satan couldn't become a king, but only a prince. Why was this? By Satan usurping his authority over the holy couple, he could only be the prince of this world because Adam, the creator, was still in charge, even though Adam was dethroned, but not his maker. Since the son of Yah also helped create the angels, even though Lucifer himself, he was still ruler over his creation. Therefore, as far as Satan could go and being over this world could only be the prince of the air. That's, that's as far as he could go. He could never be king because as long as Yeshua was around, he was a king. So since... Uh, Lucifer or the devil or Satan was created by Yeshua and the Father, he could only be a prince because he was still under their auspices. Again, we ask the question, if uh, he is the prince in this world, then how can he become a king as well? Angels do not Procreate; therefore, they cannot have children to become fathers to them. In the realm of angels, Satan could be king by usurping his allegiance from from Yah to himself. Let's look at this in the Book of Revelation. Here's how he can become a king, because he doesn't have any children, and all of the angels uh, they uh, individually created. So. Let us see how he can become the king. Okay, now we read in, in Revelations chapter 12, verse 4, notice what it says. He said, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now we know, according to Revelations one twenty, that a star represents an angel. So when the angels, or a third of the angels, fell, uh, they became his children. Why? Because they fallen in him. This is how he becomes king. So in the realm of angels, Satan could be king by usurping uh, allegiance from Yah to himself. And this is what Revelation 12, 4 is saying. Moreover, there was no angel who could pass down to Satan the kingship by secession because they were all under the archangel who is the son of Yah, who was Michael, who is Yeshua, the Messiah. So how could any of them pass on to satan that which they themselves did not possess they were not kings so they could not uh pass the 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 kingship down to him however there is a way satan could become a king and that is by becoming a father we might ask the question how can he become a father without having children for it is only when a man has children that he can become a father. While it is true that children makes fathers and fathers makes children, let us also consider a broader understanding of what a father is. Now, we need to look at this. This is what makes a father. Oftentimes, we have limited fathers to only having children, which is a Bible Uh, 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 which is a vital question. If you don't have children, how can you be a father? But you can be a father without having children. But we're going to see how he got to be a father without children, and we're going to see how he got children. In the Hebrew, the word for father is ab, A-B. and This is the same word uh, uh, that was used in in the Sabbath, in the seal, abba. Or it could be A-B-B-A, abba, father, Okay. So this word father of, A-B, does include children, but it does not exclude other facets of a father. In the Hebrew, a father was not only a parent of children, but was also looked upon as an ancestor, an inventor, and a source. Let us examine these three premises for a father. So a father... Could be an ancestor, an inventor, and a source. So let us look at an ancestor father. What is an ancestor father? An ancestor father is generally traced back to either a father in the distant past or a father who is the one who started the family line. Certainly, if our human family trace its ancestor land to where it started, our ancestral father would be Adam. So if we look at the genealogy that Matthews have and the genealogy of Luke, it could trace our human ancestral father all the way back to Adam. Okay? So so when we trace uh the ancestor of Lucifer or the devil, we can trace it all the way back to where? To the serpent. And when Adam and Eve succumbed to the serpent, then they had now not only the father and the son, but now the devil who enticed them is is, is their father. So they had three fathers, the father and his son, and also the devil became their father. Why? Because just as he usurped the authority of the angels in heaven, And they followed him and became his children. So when he usurped the authority of Elohim from Adam and Eve, they became his children. But Adam and Eve was not desirous of maintaining being their children. They was looking for the promise in Genesis 3.15 that said he would send the seed of the woman to overcome the seed of the serpent. So the point that we are looking at is a person can be a father by taking children from the true father. Okay, another uh, definition for the father was an inventor father. An inventor father is a man who comes up with an idea or insight into some device or gadget that he brings into being. Just like we say he was the father of an invention. Just like we say the Wright brothers was the father of the airplane. Are we saying they had children? No, we are saying they were the father of an invention, which is the airplane. Do we not call such a person the father of his invention? When you create something and have a patent, you send it to Washington. The reason why you patent it, because you want to be known as the father of that invention. Even when we observe our creator, when he invented the water systems, and the scrubbery system, the celestial circuits. And so we are seeing that all these things in which he created and doing these things, he was a father, even before he got to making Adam and Eve. The things that he invented and made, made him an inventor, he is a father. So when we become fathers, we too are inventors and we are called fathers, not because of just our children, but for the things that we invent and create Another uh, uh, thing that out of, out of a father. A father was not only uh, an ancestor. He was not only an inventor, but, a, but he was a source of a, a source father. Now, what is a source father? A source father could be looked upon from a number of aspects. When it comes to children, a father is the source from which they come. When it comes to a woman, a husband is a source from which she she comes because Eve came out of Adam. He is the source. When it comes to the origin of an idea or an invention or an insight or an imagination or insight or inspiration, do not we say such a person is the father of that which which, which the thing comes from? He is a father. All things which exist comes from our creator. Therefore, he fits all three premises of a father. Okay. So now that we have broadened the premise of a father, let us now see what it is that makes Satan a father in order for him to become a king. So if he can become a father, he can become a king because a king is a male figure. Thus far, we have deemed a father as one who is an ancestor, an inventor, and a source. With this in mind, let us see how this relates to Satan as a father. And as we relate these things to Satan, we'll be able to see how he became a father. So here, at this juncture, do we find any correlation between the sun representing the name and the title of a beast, okay? Now, we want to see if there's a correlation between this, okay? All right, now, let us look, go back to Genesis chapter 1, and we want to look at verses 14 and 16, Genesis chapter 1, okay? Now, when we read Genesis chapter one, we're looking at verse 14, which states, and Elohim said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And then we go to verse 16. It says, and Elohim made, two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Now here in verse 16 of Genesis chapter one, it points out that Elohim made the greater and the lesser lights, which respectively are the sun and the moon. So what is interesting about this is that there is a correlation between The celestial lights and the human family. So we want to observe this in the family of Israel. So we want to turn to Genesis chapter 37. Now, what we want to see is how the celestial family and the human family are coordinated. Okay. So now when we turn to Genesis chapter 37, we're looking at verses 9 and 10. Let's see what it says. The Bible says, and this is talking about Joseph, and this is the second dream that Elohim had given to him. And the Bible says, and he dreamed yet another dream, and he told it his brethren. And he said, behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. In other words, he's saying the dream that Elohim had given him, he said, the sun, the moon, and the stars, they bowed down to him. They paid homage to him, okay? All right, now, and when he told it to his father and to his brethren, his notice what his father said. And his father rebuked him, and he said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed Come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth. So he said, he said, Shall shall I, the father and your mother and your brethren, even though we know his mother had died at this time, but what what it what the dream is pointing out, whoever was the mother, even if it was, even if it was Lil or somebody. He's pointing out the fact that when Joseph understood, he was talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. The, we we notice the correlation it, uh, here is that the sun, the father was saying, represents the father, which was himself, Israel. The moon represents the mother, and the stars represents the brothers, okay? So there's a correlation That when Elohim made the sun, the moon, and the stars in the family of Israel, the father is represented by the sun, the mother is represented by the moon, and the stars is representative of the brothers. Consequently, what Satan has sought to do is to make a literal that which Yah uses symbolical. The sun is considered to be masculine, the male, the moon is considered to be feminine. The female and the stars are considered to be the offspring, the children. Now, the son as a father represents Satan, the father of pseudo-worship, the father of lies, of Christianity. We said that Satan was the father of lies. That's what made him a father. He created something that Elohim didn't create, which was lies. When he had the false Sabbath, that's a lie. The sun as the father represents Satan, the father of pseudo worship, the father of lies of Christianity. The moon as the mother represents Mohammed, the mother of pseudo worship, the mother of lies of Islam. The stars as the children represents the false Jews, the children of the pseudo worship, the children of lies of Judaism. What the mark of the beast wants us to remember is that he is the father of those who follow Sunday, and his father's relationship to them makes them a part of his children to make up his family. So, what we have looked at is that Sunday has the sign as a mark, and those who follow it are actually following Satan, who uses the sign as an emblem of himself, to be able to follow him. And so the whole world follows the beast. Why? Because almost the entire world takes Sunday as the mark of a sacred day, which is false, to worship Satan, thinking that coming to worship on Sunday is actually worshiping the true Elohim, and behind Sunday is the same person who was behind the serpent, which is Satan. Okay, we're going to stop here, and we'll continue next week uh, further.
0: Okay, now, what, what, could you restate that again? You said that son, uh, Satan is the Father of Sunday, uh, mm-hmm. and you said the Mother Monday, uh, how did you say it was Muhammad?
1: Yeah, that was Muhammad, mm-hmm. the mother, that religion is the mother of pseudo-worship, which okay. is the mother of lies in the Islam.
0: And what was the one you said for the, the fake Jews?
1: Uh, they The false Jews, which Revelation said, they say that they are Jews but are not. Uh-huh. They are the false Jews, the children of pseudo-worship, the children of the lies of Judaism. See, Judaism is represented by the star. Okay. Islam is represented by the moon. Christianity is represented by the sun. Mm. And so all, all of them have gone corrupt. The sun has become corrupt in Christianity, and the moon has become corrupt in Islam, and the stars has become corrupt in Judaism. Doesn't the mean they had the Star of David.
0: Wow. I, I have never thought about that because you're right. Christianity represents the sun. And one of the symbols of Islam is the moon. And then with the Jews is the star, Mm -hmm. which I think they call what the star David.
1: Yeah, right. There's no, no such thing in the Bible for that.
0: And you know what's interesting about the star David is that I did a little, when I looked it up, they were saying that the star, Six-pointed star David is more satanic than even a five-star David. That is, when you're yeah. conjuring up Satan, that the six-star mm-hmm. will conjure up him, I guess, quicker than the five-star, which you see the five-star of people who consider themselves witches or warlocks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I found yeah. that really interesting. Well,
1: it is. When you look at the uh, six-stars, he has six points. Mm-hmm. And you remember man was made on the sixth day. Yes. Yeah. And then when you look at the number six sixty six is all made up of sixes sixes is the number of man, and that's what Satan is trying to do: bring man, bring man down to the level of man, uh-huh. to eventually become the beast. Because the beast was also created on the sixth day of the week,
2: uh-huh. and so
1: what Satan is trying to do is make us become beasts against Elohim. Uh-huh. Because see, Elohim his number is, his number is seven, uh-huh. and so when we try when we get on the beast level, we are brought down. But Elohim is trying to get us. With the seal, he's trying to get us on his level, about the seven. But that six-point star is bringing us back to the level of man. Yeah, and, and it, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. No,
0: go ahead.
1: I and that's what happened when man sinned. He went down the level. He he was going down to the beastly level. And by the time you get to Revelation, he's all the way down to the level of a beast. Wow, a long ways from Elohim.
0: Uh huh. Wow, you know, and it. And it's, you're right because, you know, I've read and tried to study and find uh, s- passages of scriptures mentioning the Star of David. But there's nothing mm-hmm. there. Just like, you know, you would not find Sunday worship in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to... No,
1: we, we had the Sunday worship in the Bible.
0: Yeah, yeah that's was, I mistakenly yeah. said that because I, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're saying in Ezekiel that mm-hmm. they were actually... Now, was it a Sunday worship, or they were worshiping the sun, or that's both in the same?
1: No, it, it wasn't Sunday worship at this time. Mm-hmm. It, it was sun worship. Okay. But what, 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 what the mark of the beast, um, the papacy, and Satan has done, they have taken the worship of the sun, and they have created a day, which is, which is the first day of the week. Okay. See, back then, they was worshiping the sun, but now we worship the sun by taking the first day of the week. As Sunday. okay. So now what is different is that they worship the sun back then, but we now worship the sun, but it's attributed to the day. See, the day has been tacked on to it where back then they would just worship the sun. But now in our days, Satan with his sophistry has taken and connected with a day because, you know, Elohim has a day, which is the seventh day. So he said, I'm going to take the first day and I'm going to attach sun worship to the first day. Wow.
0: Wow. So they were worshiping the sun, but he he took that and said, okay, this is going to be my day.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, uh, you mentioned that in the sanctuary, the only light that was to light the sanctuary was from the lampstands. Mm-hmm. So no outside whatsoever, which is considered yeah. the sun is outside light. The moon mm-hmm. would be outside light.
2: Yeah,
1: because, and, see, if he, if he had allowed worldly light to come into the sanctuary, then he would be saying it's okay to go by worldly light, and mm-hmm. that's what Satan used, worldly light. Mm. God said, I don't want no worldly light in here. I only want the light of Elohim's presence. See, when Elohim made light initially, there was no sun and moon. Mm-hmm. It was only the light that came from him. And he said in the sanctuary, the only light you need is my light. You don't need the light of the sun. I created the sun. The sun is an object. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. I got my own light in my sanctuary. This is why he told them when they uh, had fire, the fire could not come from common fire. Mm-hmm. He had to send the fire down from heaven to light the sanctuary, which meant that, that his presence was in that light. Wow.
0: Wow. And before we... uh. Go to the next segment. I wanted to ask you, too, about something in uh, John eight forty four. 44. Mm-hmm. Go back to it. Okay. Uh, when it's stated that Satan was the murderer from the beginning, mm-hmm. was that referencing his influence during the Cain and Abel situation Is that being a murderer or was it something different to say he was a murderer?
1: Yeah, uh, it goes back to the Cain and Abel situation, but what we have to understand is that uh, murder has a broader definition. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when Yeshua was on earth, he said, if you hate your brother without a cause, you can become a murderer.
2: Mm.
1: Okay. Now, one of the things that we look at is that when he said, I will be like the most high. Okay. Well, he was saying that he wanted to be like Elohim himself, but Michael, which was Yeshua in heaven, he was the only one that was like Elohim. Okay. And so he wanted to take over his position. So the position that he wanted to take over was not the father's position, but uh, Michael's position. Mm-hmm. So if he could have gotten that position, then what would have happened is is that when he coveted that position, if he, let us say, he had gotten that position, do you know he would have gone so far as to take, try to take the father's position? Now, how do we know that? Uh-huh. Okay, Well, when Yeshua came to the earth, from the beginning of Yeshua coming to the earth, the spirit of Satan got into the kings and the emperors. They tried to kill. Herod tried to kill him before he was born. Uh-huh. Okay. So why was he doing that? Because Satan was... Instigating him that the Savior was going to be born. And so Satan dogged him. And even in the book of Revelation, is, it, it talks about how the, the church was driven in the wilderness and how when Satan, when Yeshua was here, the Satan was trying to take his life. Every step that he t- took, he was trying to take his life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so what does that translate? Yeshua was constantly telling his disciples, he said, My time is not yet come. My time has not yet come. Then when he had fulfilled his mission, Yeshua began to tell his disciples, my time is now come. And he said, the hour has come. So when he was put on that cross, Satan's spirit had gone into those Roman soldiers and in Pilate to put him to death. They didn't know that putting him to death was going to save us, but their their intention was just to kill him and to destroy him. But what Elohim was showing the entire universe when his son died on the cross, that if Satan could have got his way in heaven, he would have killed Yeshua. And he would have gone so far as to try to kill the father himself. He would Mm. have tried to do that. Wow. And that was demonstrated by the cross. The cross brought out all, all of the evil motives of Satan to let the world know that if i had left satan in heaven he would have tried to kill my son and me mm-hmm. because he did it at the cross that was his motive right yeah. there at the cross that's right when we studied the cross we studied the violence that he would have done in heaven if he was remained there because he did it at the cross yeah but he he didn't have the power to do it in heaven so he did it when he was kicked out of heaven when he fell out of heaven he shook his face, finger in, in Elohim's face and said, he said, I'll get you, and mm. I'm going to get your son at the cross. And that's what he did.
0: Wow. Wow, that is something. That is deep. And with that, we will trans over to our next segment.
2: Up next is Let's Talk About That.
0: So today I kind of want to still go on. It's kind of still going on with the theme. Uh, the Mark of the Beast, and as the pastor been speaking, we know that it boils down to Shabbat, Sabbath, and Sunday, as he spoke on earlier, uh, that is part of the Mark. So it was a question, if you have your Bibles, I kind of want to discuss uh, And it's in Mark, the second chapter, verse 27 and 28. And so today I want to talk about, let's talk about Shabbat, And was Shabbat made for man? And in Mark, the second chapter, verse 27 and 28, it reads, And he said unto them, The Shabbat, or Sabbath, was made for man, and not man for the Shabbat. Therefore, the son of Adam is the Adonai, the Lord, also of Shabbat. So my question, Pastor, is this. Uh, If Shabbat was made for man was the beginning of Shabbat at creation or was it before, way before creation?
1: Well, we got to look at that from two ways. When you say, was it at creation or before creation? Now, uh, Hmm. we have a, we have what you call a pre-creation. Then we have the creation and we have a post creation. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, the pre-creation is before he started to make anything, uh, all we had was the water and probably the earth all mingled together. Okay. But then when he started to creation, he created uh, everything he wanted to create.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> and then the post-creation was that after he created in in six days everything, then he had to sell back. Now, your question is, uh, uh, did he make the Sabbath for man or man for the Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the ways I can answer, the second way I can answer that question is, is that uh, he said the Sabbath was made for man. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, when you look at the creation itself, uh, of what he made, there was no Sabbath for man at, the sixth day in which the man, in which all of the animal, the, you know, the fish, fowl animals and man was made on the sixth day. Mm-hmm. There, there was, there was no Sabbath at that time on the sixth day. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you read in Mark 27, when it said the Sabbath was made for man yeah. and not man for the Sabbath. Now, if you notice that everything that Elohim made up on, up, uh, uh, up until he made man, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, then it was made for man. Okay. Okay, now let's look at the, the animals. They were made for man, because Adam, that was a part of his lesson book to study. They were made for man. And then when he had the plants and all of the good food to eat, that was made for man, right? Yes. Okay, so if that was made for man, then he says... Uh, He says of the Sabbath, he said the Sabbath was made for man. Okay, Okay, now, all the rest of creation, uh, man, the things was made for man. But when it came to the Sabbath, Mm -hmm. it says uh, that the Sabbath was made for man. So if it was made for man, let me get this right, and not man for the Sabbath. Uh-huh. In other words, even though man could take his creation that was made for him, but when he came to the Sabbath, then what he is saying is, I made that after man was made because when I bring the Sabbath in, it is not something that man was made for. Uh-huh. In other words, when we look at the food and stuff, he was made for the food, but Sabbath was not uh was not made for man and but man but let me see he said the sabbath was made for man and not man for the sabbath mm-hmm. so what it is succinctly saying is that uh, after he was created then sabbath was made to serve man okay? okay he didn't make that before man because if he had made the sabbath before man man would be serving 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 the Sabbath, okay. Just like when he made the earth, man was to serve the earth by tilling the soil. But when he made the Sabbath, he was not uh, to serve. He was not to serve the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was to serve him. Okay. So when it served him, how did it serve him? Well, it served in two ways. He said he blessed and he sanctified the Sabbath. So when he made man, and then after he made him. He said, "I got something to serve you, Adam, and that is, if you want a blessing and a sanctification, then I've gi- I've given the Sabbath that was made for you, mm-hmm. and not man for the Sabbath. You don't you you don't serve the Sabbath, but the Sabbath serves you. It gives you the blessing and the sanctification that I want you to say, have. So every Sabbath we are served a blessing and a sanctification. Every Sabbath because He gave the Sabbath." To, to to uh serve man and not man the sabbath
0: okay so with that then he made it for us so i assume that even after this world after he comes again is that something that is still going to be in place forever
1: okay let, let us let us turn to isaiah Isaiah 66. Okay. All right. In Isaiah 66, Mm -hmm. and we look at, uh, uh, let me see, let's look at verses 22 and 23. I think this would kind of zero in on your question. In Isaiah, uh, verse twenty two of 66 chapter, it says, for as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith Yah, so shall your seed and your name remain, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith Yahuwah. Okay. So I think that should answer it. Yeah. Throughout eternity, uh, we'll be keeping the Sabbath. And it will serve us throughout eternity.
0: Okay. And also uh, in Genesis one fourteen, as you had uh, mm-hmm. talked earlier. So from me reading that, my assumption, we know Shabbat was made for man mm-hmm. after the six days he created the earth. Mm-hmm. But the feast days, it sounds like was already in play in heaven before he created the rest of the things here because it's when it says that what in 14 um, uh, chapter when it said and he let there be lights in the expanse of heavens in the expanse of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for appointed seasons or feasts. So I would assume that he was putting those up there so that we would know when his special days was was around and coming. Mm-hmm. And all. So I would think that this was already in place before the, the beginning of the world.
1: Yeah, both the Shabbat as well as the annual feast day, they was already uh, intact before the world.
0: Oh, so Shabbat was already... Mm-hmm. before we, we, he even created man, it was already in place.
1: Yeah, in the heaven. So, so you remember when we read, uh, he said in the new heaven, the new earth, he's going he gonna to have the, new, the moon uh, from one new moon to another. In other words, from one month to another and from one Sabbath to another. Yeah. In other words, the only thing that he's continuing uh, when he restores the earth after sin is to continue what was going on before. They had new moons before sin came in, and they also had the Sabbath and the feast days before it came in too. So he's going to just continue what was already there. Because when you read in the Bible, it says that, even though it doesn't bring out explicitly, it says that one of the reasons why Abraham was a friend of Elohim because he said Abraham was a person who kept my statutes and my laws and we found out that the feast days, they are statues. So Abraham must have been keeping them too, because he met Melchizedek in, in, the, in, in Genesis, I think it was 16 or 18, where he met Melchizedek. And when he met Melchizedek, he was a high priest. And sure enough, one of the things that we see about the sanctuary is that usually when a priest uh, administered, they had a sanctuary Mm-hmm. And the sanctuary was for two purposes. The sanctuary was a place where they worshiped. Okay. but the sanctuary was also a place where the uh, where the where the feast days was coronated. In other words, they knew what to do on certain days with the sanctuary because the calendar for the sanctuary was the feast days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when you look at the uh, sanctuary and and the sab- sabbath, they coincided together. The Sabbath was the holy time but the sanctuary was the holy place. And so Elohim brought the holy time together with the holy place. So the Sabbath, they were connected with the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, that means that when Melchizedek met Abraham, he had a sanctuary and he celebrated the holy time with the holy place. Okay. So if Melchizedek was of the most high Elohim, when we get to heaven, the most high has a sanctuary, and he also has his appointed times of worship, the appointed times. And okay. I think we went over that when we were dealing with uh, the Most High and that his throne was on the table of showbread on the sides of the north because the table of showbread and the earthly sanctuary was also on the sides of the north. Uh-huh. So when they had the appointed times of worship, where were they? They were the times that he had set aside, which is the Sabbath and his annual feast days.
0: OK, we have uh, two emails that came in and we kind of I know uh, last week we had an email and you said you was going to give a verse. And I'm going to read the question again from last week. All right. And uh, it reads in Proverbs 30, verse four. How do we answer the question in that verse? What is his name and what is his son's name? if thou canst tell, and I know you said you was a, uh, it was a verse that you wanted to give. Yes. To uh, I that. couldn't,
1: I couldn't locate a lot of times. So when something uh, comes up, sometimes I can ask it off the top of my head. And sometimes uh, I, I can't re- recollect it, but uh, in, in conjunction to um, Proverbs, uh, what we call the 30th chapter, verse four, it has a counterpart Uh In Proverbs chapter 8, now, when we kind of refresh our memory on uh, Proverbs 30, verse 4, it was talking about, it says here in verse 4, who hath ascended into heaven or descended, who hath gathered the wind in his fist, who hath bound the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? And I was pointing out that the name Michael— it, it has two at least two two interpretations the one interpretation there that when you mention his name you say what is his name? Mm-hmm. Well, his name is Michael. If you ask what his name is, his name is Michael okay but then another interpretation of the name Michael it, it means uh, who who is like L okay. and, I, and, and, and and Michael, If you break the name now, it means one who is like El, which in English language, we will say one who is like God because El means God, okay, Uh in the English. And so it is saying, who is his name? It is saying his name is Michael. But then when his name is also a question, you ask, what is his son's name? You are asking a question. And so when you mention the name Michael, it is telling you what his name is, but it's also asking you a question, who is like God, Okay, and that is Michael. And so when we turn to uh, Proverbs, the eighth chapter, notice what it says in conjunction uh, to that pr- particular question. In, 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 in Proverbs, the chapter eight, and we read verse 22, it says, and Yah possessed me in the beginning of his way before the, the, the works of old. What were the works before? There was a the creation. Mm-hmm. He said before the creation came, m- me and my son was there. He said, I was set up from the everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. For there was an earth, he said, he was with me. Verse 24 says, when there were no depths, I was brought forth when there were no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was, I brought forth. Whilst as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the higher part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his command, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, When I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of, of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. So what he is saying is, in the creation, he has always been with me. He was my wisdom. And that wisdom personified was Michael, and Michael was Yeshua. He was the son of Elohim, that in the book of Colossians it says that he and the Father made all things. This is why there was a text in Job says when Job was going through all this trouble, and one of the questions that was asked Job, he said, Job, were you before the mountains? He said, if you were not before the mountains, then what you going through, somebody else already went through it because of the fact that before the mountains came forth, Elohim is saying, my son was with me. And he's saying to Job, if, if you were not before the mountains, then uh, the wisdom that you have could not excel that uh, what Elohim has, because when the mountains were created, then it was his wisdom that established it. So when he asked Job the question, were you before the mountains? He is saying that you don't, your experience don't go back further than what Elohim, uh, uh, has already established. He established the mountains. So if you were not before the mountains, then you listen to my wisdom and I can be able to get you through what you're going through.
0: Okay. Well, we hope that, uh, explanation clears, uh, your question. And so, uh, the second question we have, um, it reads, uh, Genesis 2.17 says, For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Second Peter 3.8 says, One day is with Yahweh as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So could that mean that Adam did die in the day? He ate of the fruit because he died at age 930, less than a thousand years, which the Bible says is a day with Yahweh. And I remember we having a discussion about this, that Mm -hmm. um, in Yah's time, we really don't live a day. (laughs) We live a a microcosm probably, honestly, a few seconds Mm -hmm. in compared to... um, uh, Adam, because Adam lived 930, and I think you said, who was it, uh, Melchizedek or somebody? No, yeah?
1: that was uh, Methuselah. Methuselah,
0: yes, that he lived a little bit older than uh, mm-hmm. Adam. Well, yeah, that's correct.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so uh,
1: you, you're correct on your analogy. Uh, you said the day that you eat, you, you would die. Uh, Elohim intended him for uh, Adam and Eve to live forever uh-huh. he said but if 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 you if you eat of the fruit now uh, one of the things I think a lot of people don't take in consideration is this is that uh, he said in the day that you eat okay you shall not uh, y- y- you shall die in the day that you eat okay all uh-huh. right uh, now so when we consider the fact that in the day that he ate. Now, I don't know if it's in the Cepha Bible or the King James Uh uh, to let us know what day he ate was, you know, um, I mean, it does tell us what day he ate because if he died at 930 and Methuselah, no, Methuselah died at uh, 969. Okay. That, in, in 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 the day that Adam ate, he died at 930. Mm-hmm. That we have to take in consideration that what you said is correct. Uh, that a day with Elohim is a thousand years, and a thousand years is is as a day. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when he when he ate, then we're not looking at a 24-hour period. We're looking at uh, as Elohim sees it sees a day. Okay. Because Elohim, when he sees a day, he sees a thousand years, and which meant that he intended Adam to live many days. So what, did, what does, does that entail? Well, it, it entails more than many 24-hour days. It entails the fact that he intended Adam to live many days, which would mean many thousands of years. Okay. okay. But when he ate, he did not get past 1,000 years uh, because of the fact that, according to Elohim's calculation of time, it was 1,000 years made a day. Now, he came short of 70 years because he died in 930. But Methuselah lived 969 years, and he came just shy of 31 days. He would have made it, but he didn't he was he he was put to sleep, okay, so nobody that lived on earth lived an entire day, okay mm-hmm. now, even though Enoch was translated went to heaven, he never lived on this earth for a thousand years, so he didn't even get a day on uh, a day on this earth, mm-hmm. but isn't it ironical that a lot of people don't look at this that in the book of revelation, the twentieth chapter that it says that when the judgment is over and we go to heaven mm-hmm. that revelation, let's turn there. Let's turn to revelation 20. I want to point this out <laughs> revelation chapter 20. And, and I don't, I don't hear a lot of scholars using this. Even when they talk about the millennium in, in the thousand year reign, they use everything, but they, they don't use this text. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out why don't, why don't they use it? Because this is the only text in the Bible that, that speaks about it. Okay, now here, if you lo- use uh, Revelation chapter 20, uh, note, 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 notice what it says uh, in, in chapter 20, verse uh, verse 2. It says, And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Notice a thousand years. bound a day. That's a day, okay. Uh-huh. And then if we go down to verse 3 and they say, he said cast him into the bottom of the pit and he set upon him a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years will fulfill and after that he loosed him a little season again he's talking about a day, mm-hmm. a thousand years in other words we lost a thousand year, <laughs> the thousand years in Genesis but we're gonna make up for the thousand years when it when, when we' redeemed okay let's go a little bit further okay mm-hmm. Okay, let me see Uh, if we go on down to verse five. okay, verse five says, but the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So one of the first gifts that Elohim is going to give the the redeemed of the ages, it said the rest of the dead. What do you mean by the rest of the dead? In other words, he is saying that you got the righteous living and you got the righteous dead. You Mm -hmm. got the righteous dead. And well, well, let me put it this way. When he said the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years was finished. In other words, you got your uh, you got your uh, righteous uh, dead, and also you got your wicked dead. He said the righteous dead are going to be raised, and they're gonna uh, they they're gonna be given uh, th- th- their their reward is what Adam lost in a thousand years. They're gonna gain it. The thousand years, and he said, "The rest of the dead. Now, who are the rest of the dead? That's the wicked dead. They're gonna the, the, all that have perished wickedly, and the people who are struck dead at the brightness of the parents, mm-hmm. they're gonna lay dead for a thousand years, and then we who are living, we're gonna be with 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 the priests or Yeshua and the Father for a thousand years." He said, "This is the first resurrection, and then he says." Uh, in verse six, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power. In other words, what he's saying that when he comes to take his children and take his dead saints out of the grave, they're going to live a thousand years. And he said, once you lived a thousand years, then you can't die again. He said, but in verse six, they that shall be priests. To Elohim and, 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 and to the Messiah and sharing reign with him a thousand years. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna get a thousand years reign, but the breath of the day is gonna have to remain dead because when they come up the second time after that, they're gonna die again. But he said if we come up in that first resurrection and get that thousand that first thousand years that Adam lost, then we're gonna be as kings and priests and, and, and death will have no power over us ever again.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, and our second question we got email, and it says, uh, speaking of the fathers, of the fa- speaking of the fathers, why isn't Cain listed in the genealogy of Adam in Genesis chapter five, verse three?
1: Okay, let's look at that. you say' you say Genesis five three, Yes, Genesis. Okay, let me see what we got here. Verse chapter five, verse three. Okay, let's
0: see.
1: All right, let's look at that. Let me see. Verse 3, it said, And Adam lived 138 years and begat a son in his own likeness, and after his image, and he called his name Seth. Okay. Uh, and, okay and what you are saying is why Cain, his brother is not mentioned there. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's look at something that I think is basic. Let look at basic, okay let us let us drop down to verse six, okay uh-huh. Now we notice in verse six it says, and Seth lived an hundred years, and he got Enochs, okay? Now, I'm not gonna read the whole genealogy, but here's what I want you to look at. I want you to look at verse six, and then I want you to uh, look at uh, verse number verse number 32 of the same chapter. Now, notice it says, Enoch's, uh, I mean, it says, Seth lived 105 years, and you've got Enoch, And they go all the way down through the, through the genealogy. And when you go down through the genealogy, and you come to uh, verse 32, the end of the chapter, it says, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, now the question you said, is that why is not him, I mean Cain, listed. And yeah. we notice that Cain is not listed in all of the genealogy from verse 6 to the closing in verse 32. Mm-hmm. It mentioned nothing about Cain, okay? All right, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to <clears throat> look at uh, the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter of, uh, of Genesis, the fourth chapter. Now, here's what I want you to see. Now, this was this was kind of this was kind of striking to me when I when I read it because I was trying to put it together myself. Now, notice what verse four, I mean chapter four and verse one says. It said, And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten me a man from Yah. Okay. Now, what you notice here. Cain was the firstborn.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so your question is why is not Cain mentioned in in this one? Okay, let us let us look uh, at the genealogy here. In other words, it is tracing the genealogy uh, when we go down to. Uh, let me see. All right, let me see. We want to go down to. Uh, uh, all right. Let, let let us go down to verse in the fourth chapter. Let us go to uh, verse 16. And the Bible says in verse 16 that Cain went out from the presence of Yah and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Okay. Now, it says and Cain knew his wife, and she's conceived. Okay. Now, in verse 17 of the fourth chapter. It is talking about the line of Cain, okay? In other words, when Eve had Cain and Cain killed his brother, then Cain still had a line, and it line goes from Adam and Eve to Cain, and Cain goes all the way down up until you get Enos, mm-hmm. E-N-O-S, now, here's the thing that was interesting to me. Now, when you read the line of Cain and you look at some of these names, they almost are the same names as you have in the line of Seth, who was the second, Well, where you had Abel. He got killed, but then Adam started another line with Seth, mm-hmm. and he removed and he goes on down to that land. Now, let us, let us notice here. It says, uh, and Seth, uh, he said, and Seth lived 105 years, and he got Enos. Okay, now, when you look at the son, when you look at Cain's land, Cain, the, according, to the, uh, according to the Bible, uh, Cain also, I believe, had somebody in his line and they call, uh, Enoch's. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can, Oh, let me see, uh, if I could find, find those names, but when you compare the, the names in one list, you, you find that they are also in, 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 in the other, but they were, they were different. They were, they were a different line of people. Okay. Let me see. Uh, you got five and you got four all right all right now here in the 19th verse of, uh, of, uh, of, of the fourth chapter you have Leemitch right okay you have Leemitch and I believe uh, when 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 you get into the land of uh, Seth through Adam I think you also have, a Lee Mitch, if I'm not mistaken, okay. Anybody found Lee Mitch? Okay. Yeah, let's see. Let's see. All right. All right. Let me see. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. In verse 26 of the fifth chapter, you have a you 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 have Lee Mitch. Now you got a Lee Mitch in both of them. OK, and if you if you just make some comparison between uh, Cain's land and Seth land, you're going to find a lot of comparisons. Now, now, LeMitch, what was his son? His son was Methuselah, right? That was Methuselah. OK, mm-hmm. now, isn't it interesting that uh, even though his son was Methuselah, then when we look in the line of Cain, what, what, what do we see? Let me see here. Okay.
0: Uh, let me see. Hollye. Uh, ah, yeah. Hollye. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Okay. Think it's around uh, verse
1: eighteen, I believe. Eighteen. Let me see what you got. That's my uh, It's another name that is close to Methuselah. Oh. And if and if you're not, uh, oh, I here see. it is down here. It said, "And Enoch... Uh, begat Methuselah, see, he got Methuselah. But see, that's a different spelling from Methuselah. Okay, so let me see what it. Where, where was Methuselah at? Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Methuselah.
0: You're uh, talking about as It goes to Cain. Uh. Well, I know they got a Cain
1: that is close, close too. But let me see. He got Methuselah. Who, and who, who has the,
0: Methuselah, Seth or I th- Cain? I
1: think, that, I think that's Seth, Seth. In, in the fifth chapter, but I was trying to find...
0: Because in the okay. fourth, uh, 18, they have a Methusel? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The mohu Mahu. Now, they have a Methusiel in yeah. verse 18. That's what I was looking at. All right, thanks. It said Methusiel. okay. But then when you look in in the 5th chapter it says methuselah they the names are similar but the reason why Cain is not mentioned in the in, in the son in, in in the line of Seth is because he has his line and then when they had a son they started another line even though many of the names are similar in there
0: so we hope that answer the question if not Send us another email. We encourage all our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us, and we will try to address it. So, Pastor, before we get ready to close out this podcast, can you take us to the throne in prayer?
1: Okay, our loving Father, we are so grateful that we can meet again, even with the obstacles that was presented before the program. You worked it out, and we can give you thanks. Now, Father, as we go through the rest of the Shabbat, Help us to remember, O Heavenly Father, that when we remember the Sabbath day, we have to remember your name, your title, that you are the creator of the universe. You created everything. And in the midst of the Shabbat, what do we have? We have Father. It shows our relationship to you and the universe, that you're the father of the entire universe and all mankind. And we remember your jurisdiction is over the heaven and earth, In your regency, you reign forever. And wherever we keep the Sabbath, we remember all of that. And the spirit of Sabbath, which is Sunday, is trying to duplicate what you did, but it is not correct. And so help us to have the distinctions between the mark of the beast and the seal of Elohim. And as we go through the Sabbath, it's going to be a beautiful day. It was made for us. It was made to give us a blessing and a sanctification. And may we be refreshed as we get ready to go into a new week. Bless my hosts, bless me, bless all of the listeners, bless the sick and the shedding and those who have experienced the loss of loved ones. That the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, may comfort their hearts. For the same Spirit that gives us the seal of Elohim is the same Spirit that can comfort us and give us the peace that we need in the, in the days in which we live. All of the hardship and the torn and the violence and the torment, have it Father, this life that when we come to the Sabbath, oh, Heavenly Father, we can have a peace and a tranquility, can can help us in the days that we live to still have hope and aspirations to be able to go on until Yeshua does come. So bless us to this end. And when you do come, may we have so lived that we can be able to experience what the individual has asked, that we have that first day that we will live a thousand years. And if we live that thousand years, he says, death will no more have power over us. We will have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim and his son throughout eternity As our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.
0: Amen. We want to invite you and encourage you next week. Next week to celebrate with us this spring feast, starting April the 16th at 1 p.m. Make sure you join us as we celebrate Passover. Then the very next day, April the 17th at 7 p.m., we're going to kick off the celebration of Feast of Unleavened Bread. And lastly, on April the 23rd at 1 p.m., we're going to close out the celebration of Feast of Unleavened Bread. So we look forward to you joining us on those days. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at covenant at gmail.com. That is our podcast for this week. Know therefore that Yahuwah Elohim is Elohim, the faithful El, which guards his covenant and the mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.